welcome to Scare You to Sleep. I'm your host, Shelby Scott, and I'm going to read you a scary bedtime story. This week's story is... I never say this beforehand, but I'm sure this is going to become a favorite for many. This is such a great story. New author to the show this week, Shoshana Summerall Ferking, is a technical writer in Lincoln, Nebraska, author of many short stories, as well as the American fantasy Weatherbone. I will link her website in the show notes. Go check it out. Shoshana has for us an incredibly terrifying tale of revenge. Here is The Binder of Women. Live reports on the local AM radio station crackled and buzzed with lightning strikes as Clark gunned his car north on the interstate. Maybe it wasn't so bad on his street. The house had an automatic sump pump, but he didn't know whether it worked. It hadn't rained like this in years. The house was on a slope, the crawl space in the basement a few inches off the floor. So maybe they were safe. The Tupperware container was sealed and virtually waterproof, so it should be fine. They were safe. Had to be. He patted the square, hard-shell camera case on the seat beside him, comforted by its touch. He couldn't decide which was his most treasured possession. Was it his vintage Spectra 1200 Polaroid camera with self-timer, nighttime auto-flash, and sliding exposure control? Or was it the three-ring leather-bound binder that housed the collection of his photos, each page dedicated to a single subject? Each one had its own foil tab, embossed with a name. Six so far. There was Gloria. Gloria had liked to play her Martin acoustic, sing Crystal and Dolly. Gloria had begged to live. There was Liz, who liked eating oysters in the Blue Moose pub. Liz had not. Clark finally decided he loved both things equally each the perfect complement to the other. He always got to know at least one aspect of each of his subjects very well. Hallie had loved The Sopranos, loved the little sub-themes woven throughout the main plot, like Tony's love for ducks and Chrissy's H problem. Kaya had been studying to be a crime scene investigator. Ironic. Ashanti, still his favorite, had been a gearhead. Clark's Gosling-esque good looks and aw shucks grin always put them off their guard. He had to leave his car at the high end of the city park and make his way toward home on foot. 
Emergency vehicles and roadblocks thwarted passage through his neighborhood, and the roar of water through the storm sewers was deafening. He was splashing through the lake that had swallowed the lower end of the park, when a cop and a rain slicker stepped into his path. Sir, can't let you enter this area. A lot of streets underwater, and we're going house to house. I'm looking for my dog. Clark's voice was hoarse with emotion. I was walking in the park, but the thunder scared him, and he got loose. He looked at her with haggard eyes. The cop's expression softened. Look, this isn't a job for civilians right now. She said, putting a steadying hand on his arm. She sighed. <sighs> what kind of dog is he? Collie. Border. Border Collie? Uh-huh. Tell me where you last saw him, and I'll inform the search and rescue teams. He went that way. He pointed in the opposite direction of his house. His name's Snoopy. You've been very helpful, she said, reaching for her walkie-talkie. 1086, Broad in Washington. She glanced over her shoulder. Get to higher ground. We'll make sure Snoopy's safe and sound. Thank you, officer. He watched her for a second longer, then ducked around the corner and hurried down the gushing sidewalk in the direction of his house. He sloshed up to his front door, unlocked it, and went inside. The main floor was untouched, but from downstairs came a sound he didn't like. Trickling. Cursing, he yanked the pool chain on the light and tore down the stairs, stumbling off the second-to-last step as his shoes plunged into dirty brown water. Rounding the base of the stairs, he realized the trickling was coming from behind the crawlspace door. No, 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 he muttered, unlocking the padlock and wrenching the door open. More water gushed out, drenching his pants halfway to the knees before subsiding. From somewhere by the far wall came the chugging and glugging of the sump pump, sounding like it was on its last legs. Something bumped against his ankle. It was the lid from the Tupperware container. With an agonized cry, he thrust his arms into the crawl space, his hands locating the plastic rim of the container, bobbing near the back. The ringed binder was still inside sitting in about half an inch of water. The leather was puckered and bloated, the polypropylene sleeves waterlogged. Clark lifted the book, tossing the container aside, and sloshed back to the stairs. It would be a long night. He'd read somewhere that another business had set up shop in the old Woolworths building downtown. Had wondered absently how long it would take for it to fold, like all the others. This morning, Clark found himself parked on the red brick street, in front of the stoop that still had faint lettering along the tiled facade, F.W. Woolworth Co. 
His gaze rose to the small sign above the door. The fold, in small script beneath the name, preserving your golden memories. The ad he'd found by googling had sounded more sophisticated than this place looked. But it was the only photo restoration shop within reasonable driving distance. Also, the ad had said they specialized in Polaroids. He pulled the door open, and a faraway-sounding bell chimed a single, low note. Stepping in from the bright morning sunlight, he paused for a moment, letting his eyes adjust to the gloom. Morning! He looked to his right and saw a black woman with pigtail braids getting up from behind a laptop on a small maple desk. She wore olive khakis and a black t-shirt depicting a mechanical bird. How can I help you? Looking into her eyes and fetching that famous lopsided grin, he approached the desk, opening the manila folder he'd had under his arm. (laughs) Had some basement issues last night. He laid the folder on her desk and began to carefully unwrap the square of tissue inside. The proprietor chuckled. Welcome to the club. (laughs) I already went through a day's worth of emails and voicemails before I even unlocked the front door. She looked down at the folder. You, however, are the first to bring me just one single photo. Must be real special. It was of Ashanti. Before. Looking around the hood of the car she was fixing. Smiling, curious, but warm. The picture was clearer in his mind than what remained of the actual photo, which was warped and water-stained. It is, he replied. She was my first college girlfriend. Ah, lucky girl. She winked. Just leave it in the folder... Write your name and address. I offer shipping free of charge. Uh, Well, Clark had thought of this ahead of time. He never gave out his address. Can't you just uh, give me something to take home? I can do the job myself. The shopkeeper paused several seconds, considering him. Ashanti before came sharper in his mind that day returning as if it were happening all over again finally the shopkeeper held out a hand let's have a closer look he hesitated then handed it over as the marred photo touched her palm her eyes seemed to darken and become more luminous at the same time. Oh. (gasps) She drew a quick breath, blinking, not even seeming to look at the picture. After a second or two, her smile returned. You know, I think I've got just what you need. She handed him his photo back, motioning for him to follow. The walls of the workshop were adorned in photos of photos before and after 
The restored photos were impossibly vivid, almost better than new. High def, he could have sworn. The woman unlocked a metal cabinet and took out a bottle and pamphlet instructions. Here we go. She turned to hand them over, and Clark grabbed them eagerly, still gazing at the walls. Uh, What do I owe you? He asked, remembering his manners. She shrugged. Tell you what, you like the results. You can buy me dinner, and we'll call it even. As they walked back to the front office, she took out a business card, and he saw the name below the company logo and number. Cambria. She turned the card over and jotted a new number before handing it to him. Deal? You got yourself a deal, ma'am. He saluted as he left, (laughs) and she giggled. As the door fell shut behind him, her smile disappeared. Clark got into his car, conscious of the fact that he may just have met number seven on the next visit. He would bring the spectra. Clark placed Ashanti's before photo in its proper place before the others on the kitchen table. They were all arranged in chronological order. Each subject laid carefully on its own paper towel. All of them were curled and discolored. More than half of them were not even discernible anymore. He unfolded the instruction sheet and read through all the steps, twice. He went down to the basement, which was smelly and had a water line almost a foot up the walls, but at least nothing was floating anymore, and rummaged around in the cupboard above the washer and dryer. At last, he came up with an empty spray bottle. He hurried up to the kitchen, rinsed the bottle out, and filled it halfway with the distilled water he'd bought on the way home. Then he added the contents of the bottle from the fold, screwed the cap back on, and shook. The dilution turned a pale, transparent blue. He turned back towards the table. Taking careful aim, he sprayed a fine blue mist onto Ashanti before. The change was immediate and incredible. The flash of her smile, the black velvet of her skin, even the whirls of her hair leapt out in vivid detail. The aqua gleam of the car hood, the kelly green of the cottonwoods in the background, their snowy puffs spiraling through the air, one catching on the sleeve of her chambray shirt. It was so alive. He half expected the leaves to flutter, Ashanti to finish straightening to her full height, laying the three-quarter socket on the front clip. Hello? Did you just take a picture of me? Sorry, I'm actually nerding out over that 78 Volvo close? Oh, 
So close. 81. He treated the rest of page one, and the images of Ashanti leaped up in vivid beauty that almost hurt to look at. Progressing all the way through the series to Ashanti. After. His art practically come to life before his eyes. Barely breathing, he moved on to page two. Beverly. Beverly before. Wearing leather gloves, pushing a wheelbarrow of sapling cottonwoods, a few strands of brown hair escaping the faded bandana and clinging to her plump, flushed face. Looking up, curious as he shyly approached. Sorry, I'm just taking some photos for a story. Are those cottonwoods? (laughs) Yes, they're part of a study by the university. Are you a journalist? Well, more of an artist-slash-storyteller. Frame by frame, the collection was reborn, better than the original. When the last photo, Kaya, after, was restored, Clark stood back, marveling, breathtaking, everyone. He retrieved the binder from under the cement block he'd been using to flatten it. Still a little warped and stained, but that gave it personality. He slid the photos into fresh polypropylene sleeves, which he snapped into the binder in numerical order. He then mixed a Hendrix and tonic, took the binder out onto the back deck, and made himself comfortable on a high-backed stool at the teakwood bar he'd bought with Gloria's credit card, lingering over every page as the late afternoon sun began to caress the treetops. Halfway through the collection, he went inside and made another drink, humming to himself. By the time Clark made his way carefully down the basement steps, sealed the binder in its new rubber-made waterproof container, tucked it into the crawl space, now dry again, if a little musty, and secured the combination padlock on the small, rectangular door. The shadows had merged into twilight, and he was more than a little drunk. He made a third gin and tonic and took it with him up to the bedroom where he kicked off his shoes and settled back on the bed to watch some Netflix. He was awakened by a sound. His drink sat half-finished on the bedstand. On the flat screen, a series of previews was scrolling. He yawned and stretched looking over at the alarm clock. Just past midnight. Must have been dreaming, he thought, as he rolled off the bed and went into the master bathroom to urinate. As he returned to the bedroom, he stopped 
the remnants of his buzz evaporating in the middle of the hallway facing his bedroom sat a high-backed teakwood bar stool. Clark yanked open the bedstand drawer and grabbed his Glock 9mm, chambering a bullet as he closed the distance between himself and the doorway in three strides. The hallway was dimly illuminated from downstairs. The kitchen, other than the foyer light, which would have been much brighter, that was the only downstairs light that reached up here. He had not left any lights on tonight. He was sure. Had he armed the security system? If you're still in here, you're going to die. He called. He edged around the bar stool. He didn't want to touch it, somehow. The door to the other bedroom, which he used for storage, was closed. He shoved the door open and flipped on the light, aiming the gun into every corner. Nothing. He edged down the stairs and into the foyer. On the right was the dark living room. On the left, a single light burned above the small dining table. In the small alcove just off the kitchen, the door to the basement was shut as he'd left it. On the Simply Safe panel next to the front door, the small screen read, Armed. You'd better be gone. Clark's voice rang through the house with authority. He walked through every room, turning on every light, searching every corner. Last, he entered the chill of the basement jerking the chain at the top of the steps to turn on the single bare bulb at the bottom. He pulled out his phone and shone its light into the darkness between the washer and dryer, behind the metal utility cabinets, under the stairs. No sign of an intruder. He spun the combination on the padlock and pulled open the door of the crawl space. Nothing in here but the Rubbermaid container. On impulse, he drew the container to him and took out the binder. He closed the door, slid the padlock into place, and, cradling the book to his chest, climbed the stairs into the brightly lit house. From the main floor, he could see one corner of the bar stool in front of the bedroom door. Anger. Grew. Someone had gotten past the Simply Safe just to fuck with him. Whoever it had been, they were gone now. You'd better stay gone, he said, ascending the stairs. He did not want to let go of the binder. He turned off the security system, tucked the Glock into his waistband, and, swallowing his aversion, used one arm to lug the bar stool back down and out onto the deck where it belonged. It was the same chair he'd used earlier tonight. Beyond the deck railing, the land fell away steeply into a wooded area that was hidden in darkness at this hour. He stood above the drop 
and offered a middle finger to the knight. You'd better stay gone, he repeated. He locked the deck doors, rearmed the Simply Safe, and turned off all the downstairs lights. Hugging the binder, he went back upstairs. On the bedroom wall, Netflix was still scrolling. He closed and locked the door, returned to bed, and nestled into the pillows. The binder on his left, the gun on his right. It was one in the morning. The sound that woke him was muffled, distant, yet it had cut through the drone of the TV. Clark was on his feet in an instant, gripping his gun, trying to look everywhere at once. His door was still locked from the inside. His gaze returned to the bed. The binder was no longer there. With a roar, he threw open the door and barged down the stairs, which were once more bathed in yellow light from the kitchen. No warnings, you piece of shit. I want my property back and I want it... The binder lay open on the kitchen table. As he drew closer, his steps slowed. With a trembling hand, he turned a page, then another. Every photo was an unrecognizable blur. A pressure built in Clark's head as he paged through to the end, a name pulsing red behind his eyes. Cambria. Somehow she had done this to him, destroyed his priceless creation. And now, she was mocking him. Scheming bitch. She didn't know who she was messing with. Soon she would. With a snarl, he snatched up the business card he'd tossed on the counter earlier and dialed the number written on the back. She answered on the first ring. Hi, Clark. What have you done to my photos? Where the fuck are you? Well, I'm sitting here in my living room, watching TV, if you really need to know. She sounded slightly offended. A soft blip, almost... A whisper punctuated her sentence. Bullshit. I know you were just here. Well, I don't know where here is, but my apartment's next to the interstate. There were sounds of a sliding door opening. Hear that? The soft roar of heavy, speeding traffic was unmistakable. Also, another blip. But I thought there was just the one. Clark hesitated, breathing hard, confusion mingling with his fury. Yeah, it's... it means a lot, this one photo, and now it's ruined. It can't be replaced. Oh, I'm so sorry. I told you I should have done it myself. Give me your address, and I'll come over tomorrow and see what I can do. But Clark's mind had stopped racing. 
brought up short by a thought. I never told you my name. What? This time, the blip came a little harder, finally registering in his consciousness. My name! How did you know it? You told me your name at the shop. Jeez, paranoid much? Now she sounded amused. Come on, give me the address and I'll make this right. Blip. I'm not giving you shit. I don't want you anywhere near my home. That's alright, Clark. Blip. I don't need it to find you. The voice crackling from the phone was vast and ancient, snaking out to slobber against his ear. Clark made a choking noise, spastically hurling the phone against the refrigerator. From down in the basement came a faint rattling, a metallic scraping as of a padlock shank sliding through the hasp, followed by a soft thud. Followed by the grate of the crawl space door slowly opening. Training the Glock on the basement door, he edged toward his front door. The display on the security console did not say arms anymore. It said restored. He threw open the deadbolt and wrenched at the handle. The handle did not move. There was a noise on the basement steps. Clark pelted through the house to the back door, unaware of the soft, moaning sound he was making. The handle was frozen in place. He threw himself against the door, and something gave in his shoulder. The door was immobile. Barely conscious of the pain, he came back through the kitchen in time to see the handle begin to turn on the basement door. With a scream, he fired at the door over and over until the gun clicked empty. Half deafened, he dropped the gun and ran into the living room to unlatch the bay window. The window wouldn't budge. Clark looked around frantically and spotted his Titleist golf bag by the sofa. He grabbed his pitching wedge and swung with every ounce of strength, connecting with the window glass at a peak force of 4,000 pounds. The wedge bounced back with a gonging noise, flying out of his hands and clipping the side of his head before shattering his glass-topped coffee table. The window remained unmarked. Clark ran back through the house to the deck door and grabbed the handle. The heavy glass slid easily open. Nearly sobbing in relief, Clark dashed outside, hauling the door shut behind him. He whirled towards the gate to the stairs. Two shapes. Faint silhouettes against the deeper blackness of the night. Were seated on the bar stools in front of the gate. Ice clinked in a glass. From behind the teakwood bar came a soft laugh. <laughs> Clark fumbled behind him for the light switch 
and the deck lighting gleamed softly on the bar, the benches, the Kamado grill, on the bows of Liz's glasses as she looked up from the drink she was stirring, on Gloria's long auburn hair swept up in the fancy braid she'd favored, on Hallie clad in her primest t-shirt as she had been in her after photo, minus the blood. On Ashanti, who was tending the bar, fully stopped as if for a party. On Beverly and Kaya, who sat between him and the gate. The women were all smiling at him as if he'd just crashed their gal party. This isn't real, he said, straining at the French door and finding, without surprise, that it was now immobile. Hey, it's okay, man. Kaya shrugged delicate shoulders, short hair, raven black against her pale skin. Relax, have a drink. It's your booze, after all. (laughs) Several of them laughed. We're gonna eat pretty soon, anyhow. Honestly, no hard feelings. Ashanti held up the bottle of Hendrix. Come on, I'll make you your favorite. What? He drew a trembling breath and tried again. What are you going to do? Beverly held up the enormous peach margarita she was enjoying. Already doing it. They laughed again, all sounding a little tipsy. We've been so close to each other, yet kept apart for so long. Down there, in the dark. To think... I never actually got to meet any of these lovely ladies before tonight. Ashanti offered Clark the gin and tonic. It even had the requisite three thin cucumber slices. Deciding to play along, Clark accepted the glass, his hand touching hers in the process. She was warm. Real as houses. Who's Cambria? He asked, refusing the chair she gestured to. What was that thing on the phone? Beverly and Kaya looked at each other and giggled, (laughs) but Gloria just winked. She's on her way. Clark's hand shook and he spilled a little of his drink. Someone had to have heard the gunshots in there. The cops will be here soon. You're hurting my feelings now, Ashanti pouted. You know I make the best drinks. And isn't it obvious by now? Nothing gets out of here tonight. Not even sound. Her stomach rumbled loudly at that moment, 
and she placed a self-conscious hand on her midsection. (laughs) Excuse me. (laughs) I am starving. As she turned back to the bar, the deck lights caught something that should not have been there. On the back of her head were two eyes staring out at him through tendrils of drowned hair. (gasps) Clark leapt over the chair, the glass flying out of his hand, tangled a foot in the aluminum bracket and went sprawling. What in the fucking fuck? He keened breathlessly, kicking away the chair and scrambling backward, crab-like, before using the railing to pull himself upright. Beyond it, the ground was too far down for the lighting to even reach. No escape that way. Hallie gave him a sympathetic smile, taking another drink from Ashanti and walking toward him. Don't be silly. We're all a little different now. But it's no big deal. Please. He felt weak, somehow heavy and slow. I'm sorry. Just make it fast. Okay? He summoned a facsimile of the shucksy grin that had disarmed her in life. The women, unbound, inched their chairs a little closer, watching him, all smiles. Still approaching, Hallie brought her other hand out from behind her back. There was an explosion of white light. The old-timey click and whir of a Polaroid camera. Their laughter was closer. Momentarily sightless, Clark lashed out, catching the side of Hallie's head by sheer luck. His hands were claws, ripping handfuls of her curls, scrabbling for her neck. She was impossibly warm and alive, but no stronger than she had been the first time he killed her. His vision was returning now, and with it a measure of calculation. The other five women were on their feet now as he drew his left arm across her throat, pulling it tight with his right arm. He backed toward the sliding door, dragging her with him, her struggles weakening. Come closer, and I will crack her neck! They halted as one. He had a good feeling about this. His backside touched the glass. Without hesitation, he placed one hand on her jaw, the other atop her head, gave a hard jerk, snap. As she sank, lifeless, once more, the heavy sense of oppression lightened. Clark whirled and heaved at the handle. The door was almost too heavy, but he was able to slide it a few inches. Escape inside, shove it closed behind him, flipping the lock. He glared out at the women, two of whom knelt over the body. The other three stood at the glass, looking in. The sorrow in their gaze, a faint mirror glow in the night, edged red with hunger. He grinned at them, whatever they were. His real grin. The one each had seen just before her after frame. 
Oh well, he said, (laughs) and laughed. Now that he could open doors again, he was getting the hell away from here as soon as he reloaded. He retrieved the Glock from the kitchen floor, took the stairs two at a time up to the bedroom. In the bedstand drawer, there were two loaded clips plus a box of bullets. He ejected the empty clip, shoved a full one in, then stuffed the rest of the ammunition into his pockets. If he had to, he would shoot his way out. Then get in his car and drive a thousand miles from here. He ran from the room, heading for the stairs, then froze gathered round the base of the stairs where Ashanti, Beverly, Liz, Kaya, and Gloria. In their arms lay Hallie, eyes empty and unseeing. You made this. We became a family. Gloria's stare was infinite sadness. Now you take even this from us. Good, Clark replied. You should have stayed dead in the first place. He was thinking fast. There was an escape ladder somewhere in the spare room, he thought. If he could get in there, lock the door, find the ladder, get a window open. He turned back and saw the thing sitting at the end of the hall. The shape was almost female, but looking at it was like looking into night itself. It sat against the wall, as if on a bar stool, feet resting where the footrail would have been. Had there been a bar stool, Slowly, it raised a hand, fanning the air with something. With a flick, the object landed at his feet. It was the Polaroid of him. The picture was impossibly vivid, almost high death. Where's my dinner? It was grinning. He didn't know how he knew this. The insectile voice was black static. Bitch. Go fuck yourself! He shrieked, pulling the trigger again and again, emptying the clip into that blackness, even as it rose from its invisible seat, stepped down, and began to walk. He ejected the clip and fumbled for a fresh one. He hadn't realized he was backing toward the stairs until he felt their hands. Until he felt their scaled and slithering fingers, and as the thing of shadow spread its arms to welcome its new children, each of them took back something, giving it new purpose and meaning as his before became thereafter. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much to my author this week, Shoshana Summerall Furking. Again, her website is in my show notes, so go check that out. Um, if you want to follow the show, follow it on Twitter, Instagram, 
Facebook, all at Scare You to Sleep. Facebook is a group, so you have to answer a couple questions just to get past, well, me, but I'm just making sure you're not a robot. So feel free to just write podcast, podcast for each question. And I'll be like, yeah, they listen to the show. Um, You're not a robot, unless the robots are getting smarter, which God only knows. Uh, This is my second take of the outro because the first one turned into such a rambling mess. I deleted it. (laughs) And here I am again. Um, I baked a banana bread this week and it was very, very good. And that is it. And other than that, I got a little bit of a late start this week. I I knew I would. This was not, not anticipated, unanticipated because I was out of town doing some family stuff, but that's okay. I'm back now. I got some new lights. So I'm going to do a new video for, for YouTube. I'm so happy that so many of you, I cannot believe the amount of like comments, like very nice comments from all of you. Um, just being so supportive for my first like face video on YouTube. I'm, it, it really touched my heart. And so I'm going to do a new video again. I got new lights. I'm very excited to use those. I never thought I'd be this excited about lights. <laughs> um, what else? Anything else? No new announcements, really. If you're new here or just a reminder, if you would like to um, support the show on Patreon and you would like to or and or you would like the show ad free, you can join Patreon for as little as one dollar a month. And there are some higher tiers as well that are going to be getting their own personal content because, you know, you know, and, um, but for this, as of this moment, um, you have access for as little as $1 a month again to a whole lot of bonus episodes, like everything. None of the current bonus episodes are going to be put behind extra paywalls, by the way, they will stay available to all the tiers. It's just in the future. I just wanted to clarify that in the future, I will be doing some extra stuff that will only be available to the five and ten dollar to five and or ten dollar tiers. So just so you know that um, nothing's going to be like going away for the one dollar tiers. But in the future, I'm going to have to get a little choosier just to give some of my five and ten dollar people some extra fun stuff because they're it's you know, you deserve it. You deserve it. You help me, you know, keep a roof over my head. And during these very difficult past few months. So there you go. Um, What else? I'm not going to ramble like I did last time. I'm keeping an eye on that clock. I know some of you like it. It's just that I'm very tired right now. I had a lot of technical difficulties with this episode. Had nothing to do with the story itself or the author or anything like that of the sort. It was very much just technology was not my friend this week. It just wasn't. Um, it's fine. Everything turned out fine. Um, but I had a, I had to reboot some shit. It was, I'm not going to get into it. You don't care. I don't care. It's, it's gone. It's in the past. I'm just tired. This is why I'm, this is why I redid it and I'm keeping an eye on the time. Again, I know some of you like it when I ramble at the end for lengthy amounts of time, but it's not, it's not good. It's not a good look when I'm tired and I'm talking about absolute nonsense. The last take, I was talking about the grocery store. Don't even get me started. Okay, I'm going to go. I love you. Go get some sleep. Drink water for the love of whoever you pray to at night or don't. For the love of you. For the love of you. Not some deity. For the love of you. Go drink some fucking water. 
and go get some sleep. Sweet dreams.